I guess it's a little unfair to ask what one event, because the truth is the direction of our life is often shifted in, in steps. And, of course, for most, most of us here, the most obvious question is when I gave my heart to Jesus, when I gave my life to God, when, when I turned my, my when, I, when I asked Christ for forgiveness of my sins and, and I asked him to come into my life, that was a huge direction directional shift and probably the most dramatic that most people will experience in their lives. Uh, but there are other things like I remember when I, one decision was asking that lady to, to, uh, to go out with me and uh, <laughs> that was a huge directional shift. Uh, there are a lot of decisions that we make to have children to, um, to come to New York into some of the things that, that we've gotten ourselves into whether it's a vocation the decisions we make. A few short weeks ago, uh, I did a series on choices and the power of, of, of those choices to determine where we are now and the power of the choices that we make today that will take us where God wants us to be or, or where we intend to go in the future. You know, it's a, it's, it's a good question, and it relates uh, to, to the sermon, it relates to the sermon series. The sermon series is a world on fire, and it's a missions, missions emphasis to focus on missions. Now, I haven't a whole, said a whole lot about uh, missionaries, but I've talked about your experience and my experience as we connect, and we, we, we you might say, rub up against God and the holy, Okay. And uh, over the last few weeks, we've done things like we, we looked at what, what, is God, what does God care about, okay? What is God's passion? We decided that, that the scripture said that God's passion was us. Everything, everything was about his people, okay? Uh, and then, then we talked about, uh, I, then, I, then the next week I talked about, uh, you might say, standing near the fire, okay? And... And in that, we talked about Moses, and he found this, uh, it wasn't a blooming onion, okay? But it was a bush that was on fire, and God spoke to him from that. And, and what we talked about was how that, when we get close to God, he will speak to us. When we turn aside, when we de- determine to, to seek him, Okay, now Moses wasn't exactly doing that, but he made a decision to turn aside to see what this was all about. When you and I, who know God, who have heard his name, make a decision to turn aside and to find out a little bit more, he'll speak to us. Okay? The next thing was, was, uh, was, was hearing his voice. We talked last week about what does God sound like? You know? And we had, you know, I'm not sure that I answered everybody's question because we have a tendency to be drawn to the dramatic, don't we? We have, I mean, that's, that's kind of like human, humanity. And oftentimes people in the, the realm of, of spirit-filled Christianity, if you, if you get my meaning there, are, are oftentimes drawn to things that are a little more sensational. That becomes an Achilles heel for many people. Because God not only is the, is the God of the dramatic, he also has a still small voice. Okay? And he's also the God of brick upon brick, precept upon precept. So that we have to understand that if we are open to him and, and are willing to, you might say, engage him, 
we can hear his voice and receive his direction. Now, today, uh, today's message is, is, is simply entitled, Send Me. And, and it kind of brings us to an end uh, because next week we start tuning in again, tuning in back to uh, back to back into the to, to ministry, back into some of the other things that that have to do with the end of the summer. But today, send me Isaiah the sixth chapter. Let me pray one more time. Father, in the name of Jesus, you know who we are, and you know where we are, and you know what our needs are. Each and every person here, God, is at a different point in their Christianity, in their relationship. Some some are just kind of around out there on the the, the edges looking in, wondering, you know, what's, what this is all about. And, and I'm asking God that you speak to them today. Lord, there's some who have come in, but they're not sure which direction to go and what to listen to, what to hear, how far to go. I'm asking that you speak to them today. Lord, there's some who are fully, fully, deeply, completely committed. I'm asking God that you help them to decide which way to go. Lord, we need you. We need you. As believers who live in, in, in more perilous times than we know, I'm asking God that you would give us the real thing, the real guidance, the, real, the, the, the kind of lead us into a relationship with you that is bigger and deeper and more solid sufficiently solid to, to be able to withstand uh, the, the storms that are coming. Sufficiently stable so that when difficult things come, we are not shattered. Our faith is not shattered. Our hearts are not shattered. We know that we know that we know and we believe and we'll stand with you. That's the kind of faith we ask that you would engender in us by the Holy Spirit and by your word and by this moment this morning. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, World on fire, send me. Isaiah, the sixth chapter. Now, this is interesting. Isaiah was a scribe. Okay? You know what that is? That was, uh, that was like the modern-day secretary. And as far as we can tell, it was his job just to kind of record what was going on in the palace. Okay? Okay? He was a relative of the king. But he was a scribe. Okay? Now, I'm not sure that, that they make, they, they let you put your handprints on the Hollywood uh, Walk of Fame for being a scribe. <laughs> You know, you know what I mean? It's like they don't do documentaries that we that we watch on the History Channel on scribes. You, know, you get my you get my meaning here. This was not somebody that the world thought a whole lot about. He had obviously a good job in kind of a high place, but he was one of the the faces in the crowd there. One of the faces in the crowd. Have you ever thought that, well, I'm just one of the faces in the crowd? I want you to know that God sees every set of eyes, though. Perhaps better, better spoken, God sees every heart and knows. In fact, 
It reminds me of a story of the story of Jesse and his children when the when when God sent the prophet there to pick out the new king. Went down through all the guys and said, "Well, he's not here. God's not spoken to me about any of them. Do you have any more kids?" So insignificant that they thought David was, and they didn't call him to the party. You ever felt like you haven't been called to the party? Okay, bring him in. And, that, and he became the king. God sees every set of eyes. God sees every heart. Doesn't matter what the world thinks about you, what position that you carry. God sees it's the heart. Man looks upon the outward. God looks upon the heart. I mean, is that good and refreshing news to us? It is to me. It is to me. Well, here we go. In the year that of, king, of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord. You can stop right there and say, you saw God? In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord. Sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. That means that, that, that thing out there. Seraphim, which is a type of angel, stood above him, each having six wings... With, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. I've, I've never been able to picture that in a satisfactory way. You know what I mean? Anybody ever, ever else says, boy, that looks odd. That had to look odd. But that's the way it was. And one called out to the other and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is, filled, is full of his glory. And the foundations and of the thresholds trembled with the voice of him who called out while the temple was filled, was filling with smoke. Now, the temple, he must have been worshiping. How about that? That here's this scribe who had an experience with God, and where did he have it? In the place of worship. Okay. He saw God. He saw angels. He heard the voice. He felt the reverberation in his feet. That was something I, I failed to mention last week when we were talking about what does God sound like and someone would say, well... If I had to picture how God sounded, probably like James Earl Jones. Yeah? Real deep, booming voice. Well, it, it, whatever it was, it moved the temple. It, it, you could feel it in the floor. Okay? And then, he's, then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined. Because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live in a, among a people of unclean lips. For I, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, <laughs> now I want you to think about just, just what happened there. In, God, in, in the presence of God, in the real presence of God, we, can, we are undone. Honestly. Honestly, that when we hear, when we see him, when we have that experience, all the charade is slapped aside. Who we thought we were, I mean, there have been times I thought I was really pretty smart. 
And then I get a glimpse of God. I get a glimpse, maybe just a picture of something. Maybe as I was reading the Word of God, as I was opening and I'd spend time and I'd realize, man, I didn't get this, this window would open, the shades would roll back, and I'd get this picture that I didn't know anything. And you know what was really cool about it? It was refreshing. I don't understand that at all, do you? But to recognize when I saw him, when, he, when, I, when I just get a peek, that, that, that I realize that I, I'm nothing, that I don't know anything. With all of my knowledge, I've, not just, I've just begun to scratch the surface. This is not hard for us to see because we see it in other places in Scripture. When you see people to, I, vanity of vanities, all of, I don't know. It's really a blessing to rise to the age, maybe to uh, the maturity level, where I don't feel like I have to know everything. And I'm comfortable with that. You know? You know, I don't. The truth is, I don't know everything. How could you? How could I? How could I? But God is there. He says, woe is me, for I'm ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eye, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hands. I, that would have gotten my attention. <laughs> Which he had taken from the altar with tongs. Now, he, the angel was using tongs. Okay? And he touched my mouth with it and said, behold. Now, he touched my mouth with it. Okay. Behold, this, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Now let me go back to the angel in the fire. Okay. It was taken, whenever you think about the iniquity being forgiven, sin being forgiven... You've got to understand that that, altar, that that coal was taken from the altar. The altar was the place of sacrifice. Now, I can't begin to, I say, unwrap all that, but I think we're good. Okay? He said, and when he touched his lips, he says, your iniquity has been removed. And then he, then he heard these things. The voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And and then we have the volunteer. Then I said, here am I, send me. This is amazing. This is amazing. Let's just kind of unpack that. that, That Isaiah sees God. He has a vision of God. And his first response is that, oh, woe is me. I'm a dirty man. Now, now, could I just pause there for a minute and, and, and you might say, uh, overlay this experience with yours and mine. When God speaks to you, whether it's in, in an environment like this. Now, we talked about God speaking to us like, like he spoke to Moses, right? And I was, as we were worshiping today, God says, do you know that happens all the time? It may be that your burning bush isn't on the side of a mountain in the Middle East. Your burning bush was your, was your sister. Your burning bush was a pastor. 
Your burning bush was a friend who presented to you the, the, the words of life that told you that if you would give your heart to Jesus, that you didn't have to die. That your sins would be forgiven. And when I say your burning bush was that, I mean, God speaks through his people, doesn't he? And your heart, at that moment, while you stood next to your burning bush, you found that God was speaking to you. It was uncomfortable, but you knew it was right. God has a lot of burning bushes. He puts his fire within his people and gives them voice, gives them language, gives them his word, and then he sends them forth to find people who are wandering in the wilderness so that they they can hear God's voice and turn to him. I mean, does that make sense to you? It makes a whole lot of sense to me. Now, the cool thing about this is that, that as we get back to the passage, he sees God, all of a sudden his first response is, I'm filthy dirty. And God always is the one who does the remedying here. Okay? And you see this. Okay? Can I save myself? No. Can I purify myself? No. I have to fall upon Jesus. I have to depend upon what God has done so that I would be purified, so that I would be holy, that I would be clean. And this is the case here. The angel came and did it. God is always the answer. He's always the purifier. He is always the one who redeems and makes us suitable for whatever he calls us to. Does that make sense? And immediately. I don't know if you, I mean, I would be caught up in the moment. I don't know about you. I mean, I saw God. I saw angels. I I felt so filthy. And and all of a sudden, an angel put a coal on my lips. I would be caught up in that. I don't know about you. Be beyond me. It's no wonder that he, when he heard the voice of God saying, who's going to go for us? Send me, send me, send me. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Remember? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Before he thought this thing through, how's that, okay? (laughs) Because things, I mean, things didn't end well for for, for Isaiah in that regard. I think the the legend tells us that they put him in a a hollow log and sold it in two. Want to be a prophet? He says, send me. He was ready for service. He saw God. He was purified. He was ready for service. Now, now, what kind of experience would, you put, would put you in that frame of mind? Of volunteering, of being willing to do what God wanted you to do. Okay? What kind of, sir, what kind of experience? Now, many of us don't have those, you know, maybe we do have some dramatic events that take place in our life, you know? They're, they're ours. They're not, they weren't his. They're not identical to his, but there are some things that are similar. God's presence. God's power. The, the recognition that, that we need a God. That we're not alone, that we're not enough of, in and of ourselves. Let's, let's move to the, to the New Testament. Okay? Matthew 28. I like this passage because we're talking about sin me. Send me. 
Who will we send? Send me, Lord. Send me. That was Isaiah. And you read the rest. Now, this is the first chapter we're reading. Read the rest and you'll find that there were some incredible times. He, God used him. God the Father used him to, 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 to speak to and, and to reveal the Messiah. Okay? Isaiah 53, Isaiah 51. All of these passages, I mean, this was, not, I don't know if Isaiah ever got to the point and says, God, don't talk to me anymore. First of all, nobody's listening. They don't care. Every time I speak, now this has got to be frustrating. That here I am, I'm speaking, I've, I've seen you, I've experienced you. I've heard your word. I'm doing what, uh, what I hear you telling me to do, and all they want to do is kill me. So God speaks. He calls. He sends. Matthew 28, and this is the end of the ministry. Of, there's three years of, 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 of ministry with Jesus. Jesus is getting ready to leave. But the 11 disciples proceeded, proceeded to Galilee to the mountain with Jesus, which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. This was after the resurrection. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven, in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, these were Jesus' parting words. Now, in some respects, there was some dramatic stuff. Okay, If you you follow this passage, you'll find that he was was taken up. He was taken up. An angel showed up and said, Gentlemen, why are you standing here watching Jesus go up? He's going to come back in the same manner. We find him giving words to his disciples before he left. And a real simple, we hear it, you've heard me quote it innumerably. Go into all the world and teach and preach and make disciples, baptizing them. Okay? In other words, he's giving them He's giving them, you might say, some marching orders. But it didn't begin there, did it? That's really the end. The end of some things, the beginning of others. But his relationship and what he's doing in them started three years earlier. And you see Jesus walking, uh, you might say, along the shores of Galilee, and he's seeing fishermen, and he's talking to, to tax collectors, and all along the way he's teaching. And as they gathered to him, he would point this one out and point that one out and says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I remember that distinctly. He said that, didn't he? They they didn't know what he meant by that. I don't think they knew what he meant by that. I wouldn't have known what, what he meant by that, but they followed him. They made a choice and followed him. And over the course of the next three years, there was a lot of stuff that happened, right? People were healed. He taught them things that they had never heard before. Remember, and in in we were doing this on Wednesday night, Matthew the third, around Matthew the third chapter, where, where he says, you have heard it said, 
but I say this. You have heard it said, but I say this. And what he was saying to them, and he followed this up, he says, don't think that I have come to, you might say, to undo the law, but I have come to fulfill it. What he was really doing was he was setting the record straight. Somehow down through the ages, they had taken God's word and they had somehow maligned it in such a way that it was unrecognizable and that it didn't represent the truth that God had for his people. And he began to say, the meek shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be satisfied. Those who are hungry, all of those things. And they're thinking he's saying, he's bringing something completely new. He says, no, no, this is what it was supposed to be like from the very beginning. So they begin to follow him. They heard his teaching. They saw his power. They, they, they left Jerusalem when he left Jerusalem. They came to Jerusalem when he came to Three years. They were present when he was flogged. They were, they were present in the, in the area when he was crucified. Three days they spent in agony wondering what was next. And their mourning was turned into joy on resurrection day. When he revealed himself over and over again in a, in a series of 40, uh, in a series that took place over a period of 40 days. See? And at the end, he says, after three years and all of that, all that experience, all that experience, he said, go into all the world and teach and preach. See? Then he left them. Now, when we talk about well, we've got three years of companions of Jesus. Let me catch up. They wit- there were witnesses of miraculous work, teaching, persecution. Truth is, they bought in years ago. When we come to this point in history, they had already bought in, haven't they? They'd been with him for three years. And in fact, they had said, you know, on one particular occasion, when Jesus said to, to, to the people that were sitting around, now this would have blown my mind too. Uh, he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. What did he just say? <laughs> eh? And, yeah, I mean, it's like, well, we understand from way, you know, we're, we're looking over our shoulders. But if you had been in the moment, you'd been, what in the world is he talking about? And it said that a lot of people had problems with that. A lot of his disciples said, I'm out of here. They did. And to the degree that Jesus turned to the 12 and said, well, are you going to leave too? And the spokesman said, where are we going to go? In the back of their minds, said, well, I already sold my fishing boat. He didn't really say that. He says, where, where are we going to go? You've got the words of eternal life. We may not understand. And what he was saying, we may not understand the depth of what you've just said. But we know, we know, we know that you have the words of eternal life. That's what he was saying. So they followed him. Not always understanding. You ever follow God not always understanding? You're not alone. Peter didn't understand. Paul didn't understand all the time. Thomas certainly did. Oh, let us go with him. 
die with him in Jerusalem. That's pretty cool. They was willing to do that. He was a believer in the worst part. He he thought, yeah, this is what's going to happen. Okay? So they bought in three earlier. earlier. And could I say that the natural consequence of this life, this life of discipleship, and that's what we're talking about, a life of discipleship, the natural consequence of a life of discipleship is serving God. In Matthew 28, 19 and following. That's the natural consequence. Now, God did not save us. Let me, let me back up and say this a different way. It'll come back to me. We have the calling. And many of you, you know, we, when we look at the disciples, we look at ourselves, and we recognize the calling. Can I say the calling is that first, that first calling is, come, and I will make you fishers of men. Come. Come. I will take away your sins. Come. It's almost a little bit like Isaiah. You have that, you almost have an Isaiah experience where you say, the recognition. When God speaks to you that way, when the Holy Spirit and the Word is applied to your life the first time, maybe the second time, the third time, and, and, and perhaps even when you get, anytime you get close to God, you, you find this, this sense of, hey, I'm not right, and I need Him. Okay? You may not say, well, I'm dirty, I'm filthy, but you say, there's, there's an overwhelming, or, or there's this present acknowledgement that, that there's something that I need to do with God, and there's something I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm a man of unclean lips, unclean mind, unclean spirit. God, how can I? And he draws me to, and he draws you to himself. And we, and we, we come to him. He cleanses us. I remember, you know, these are not, they don't have to be special words. I remember, we've got time this morning. I started early. <laughs> I was standing, I, was, I remember I, I was standing, uh, I'd given my heart to the Lord, and, and, and this was over in Japan, and, and then, you know, I had no church. I had never, you know, I, I didn't know how to do this. I, I, I lasted about six months kind of gutting it out and didn't know where to go. There wasn't a church. There wasn't anything. I didn't know what to do. And so I just kind of said, well, God, I, I can't do this anymore. It's too, too hard. Got back to the States. And now God was just working on me, making me miserable. You know how that is? Anybody, anybody with me there? Has God ever made you miserable? Yeah. You know, he, 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 he chastises his own. He spanks his own. So even in that misery, even in my, said, God, I don't know how to do this. I'm just going to go out and just, you know, drink and do all the other stuff that I was doing before. I was, you know, all that kind of crazy stuff. I would just go back to my old life because I don't know how to live this one. But I was miserable. And I'm, I'm, I'm standing in a, I see this guy, he was a Nazarene. He was another Marine. He said, I said, man, how do you get back with God? That, that, was, that was kind of bold of me. He said, well, you don't have to be in church. Just go and talk to him. I said, how novel. <laughs> and so, so everybody leaves, you know. I, I don't want to do that in public, right? Nobody wants to do this in public. And, so, and I'm on duty. I mean, I'm, I'm on duty. I'm in the office there. And I walk over to the window and say, God, I want to try again. Those were, 
I mean, some of us are looking for the right words, okay? God's looking for the right heart. God knows how to interpret. God, I want to try again. When he's looking upon the heart and it's ready, in an instant, I felt the guilt removed from my shoulders and my soul. And joy flooded me because joy is joy flooding the, 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 the you might say, the soul is, is simply the natural consequence of having your sins forgiven. I knew I was in. Nobody had to tell me. I didn't have to have theological language. And that wasn't even, it's like the sinner's prayer. That was the sinner's prayer. He knew what I, what I meant. See, that's the calling. See, God's, every, you know, God's doing that with everybody. But the natural consequence ultimately will be that you will serve him. Because there are people out there who don't know. And you're going to be his burning bush, her burning bush. <laughs> A little old you. A little old me. Yes. Okay. The calling. Now, here's, here's how it goes. I'm just going to throw this out here. The calling... When God calls you, and you know, and He'll begin, and, and somewhere along the line, He'll begin to prepare you. Okay? Not only the calling to follow Him, but as you follow Him, what did He do? He served, right? A disciple, uh, by definition, is the one who does what their discipler is doing. If we're the disciples of Jesus, we're going to do what He did. I'm not talking about sacrificially, but in ter- well, there is some sacrifice involved. The disciple follows the master in life and in action and activity, okay? Okay. Okay. Now, as we look at the scripture, though, we find that there's something called the church. And that in the church, there are different things that take place. What I mean by that, if you, read, if you read through the book of Corinthians, you kind of get an idea that there's, everybody's got, is called to a place and to, to, a, to a situation and to gifts. There are many ministries, there are many gifts, there's many functions, all right? And somehow it works together that we're helping one another, we're blessing one another, we're building one another up, ultimately to build up the kingdom of God. But we've been talking about mission. Mission. The calling, the preparation, the development, the varieties of gifts, the ministries, then the mission. What's the mission? The mission is not to collect as much money as you can. The mission, the big mission, is to win the loss for Jesus. And you're involved at one point or another. You may not be ready where you are, but God, God's put the calling on you. You understand what I'm saying by that? There's always preparation that he does. And the giftings, as we seek his face, reveal themselves, and he opens the opportunities. He's not going to send you to Japan if you won't go across the street. Does that make sense? There's development. There's progression. And you see that. That's another sermon. As we've sat here today. I'll ask you, what will you do with this calling? What will you do, ladies and gentlemen, with 
the mission. I'm not asking you to run. I'm asking you to do what God wants you to do. I'm just telling you that this is where he's going to take you if you get close. Okay? If you'll get close to him, he'll take you there. It is the natural function of the disciple to be like the master. What he says, greater things than these you will do because I go to my father. And if we understand that the primary purpose, not, I'd say not the only purpose, but the primary purpose in this world for you and for me, if we're believers, to somehow reach out and be a burning bush to somebody else. You don't have to have deep theological language. Sometimes all it takes most, of, sometimes I felt like I was more effective as a sergeant in the barracks than I was as a chaplain. The bush was closer to the, to the trees. You know, it's like, okay, I'm there. God's speaking to me. Sometimes it was not what I said. It was just they got close to where God was burning. I didn't even know I was having an effect on them. He said it this way. You're the salt of the earth. Does that, does, I mean, does that just kind of come together as you and I follow Jesus? He creates a fire within us by the Holy Spirit. And if we're willing, and, and, and if he, and he gives us the impulse, we'll witness. We'll shine the light. We'll witness. It doesn't have, doesn't, again, it doesn't have to be a deep theological treatise. I once was lost, now I'm found. Come with me. Jesus saved me. He took away my sins. I can't answer much more beyond that, but follow me. He'll do the same for you. Sometimes it's all we need to light the path, to show the way, to to invite someone to come with us on the same journey. I want you to know they're hungry because sin has a a weighty burden that the the souls were, were never intended to bear. And you have a role. What will you do? You know, I'd say, if, you, if I was to give you instructions, be a disciple. Get close to Jesus. Get close to Jesus. Do what he tells you to do. In the small things, just go there. Just do what he says to do. Let him open the doors. Don't push anything open. Say, God, and, and here's the word. Here's the word. Maybe this is where we need to be. If, you've, if, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you're a Christian this morning, can you make a decision to be available to God? Can you make the decision to be available to God for whatever he wants in your life? Can you make the decision, I'm available to you, God, for whatever. I want to follow you. I want to follow you. Now, if you're here and you've never given, you're not a Christian because you're just kind of looking in and saying, well, this is kind of strange and it's kind of fun. I like the music. It's, people are nice and stuff. Um, I want you to know that Jesus has something for you. You felt your heart strangely warmed as, as, as others have said today. God wants to kind of remove the burden. I can't answer all the questions, but I, I don't think I need to because if you're here this morning, you know yourself. You're not serving God. You're living for yourself. 
and I'm inviting you to live for him. As this altar, we're going to worship, we're going to sing. This all, I, I invite anyone who's, who's thinking, well, look, I really want to make myself available to God. Just, just like that. I'm available, God, for whatever you want. Come and tell him that. Stand with me. Come and tell him that. If you're here and you want to give your heart, your life to God, to, to Jesus Christ, you want your sins forgiven, meet me here at the front as we worship, as we sing, as we, as we love God. Amen. This altar is open for anyone who want, would, who will. All open to you, to me.